y'all now join us as we pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for, uh, first for these two families who give of their time and uh, just of their spirits and of their leadership to raise these young leaders in our church family. Thank you for Holly, Jennifer, and their families and the leadership they bring to Bellwether. Thank you that long before Jesus came as a baby in a manger, you are preparing the way. And long before he may enter our hearts, you are preparing the way. And there are messengers all in our lives. Sometimes they may be a pastor, sometimes they may be a friend or a parent or even a child that can speak into our lives and prepare the way for Jesus to enter our hearts. May we listen to these messengers. And thank you, dear Lord, that we can hope and believe in peace now and peace for eternity in Christ. Some of us may not even have that belief that there is, there is everlasting peace. But the Christmas season, peace on earth, goodwill to men, to sleep in heavenly peace. The words of that hymn are possible and true and real when we look at baby Jesus and when we look at the life of Christ and when we look at his death and his resurrection and his ultimate return. May we have his peace. In his name we pray. Amen. As they step down, we're going to do something a little different this Sunday, as it is a different Sunday. Each Christmas Eve, we close with Silent Night. We have a candlelight service. So as a prelude to that evening, we're just going to play softly and silently a couple stanzas of Silent Night. You know, those last words of Silent Night says, Sleep in heavenly peace. I don't know about y'all, but as I looked at our children, I thought about the peace that they bring when I just when I look at them and they, they fill my heart and ultimately peace comes from another baby another infant the Christ child I hope this season with everything going on in your life with the parties and got to get it done and presents and everything that you'll look to him and you'll have his peace Thank you, Eric. Have your Bibles. Please uh, open them to the uh, letter of Philippians in the back. We were in Philippians last week and will be again this week, but it's in Philippians chapter 2 this Sunday. And uh, as always, if you do not have a Bible, we give away Bibles here at Bellwether. Have some stacked on the table up there. Feel free to grab one. Feel free to take one home. Feel free to keep one in your car. We believe in God's Word. You can't have enough Bibles, and uh, so feel free to take one. Philippians chapter 2, 
and going to read about Jesus. Uh, This is one of the best depictions of who Jesus is, who he can be for us. And I'm going to read chapter 2, verse 1, down through verse 8. Paul writes to the church in Philippi and to us today. It says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for uh, this picture that we have of Jesus. That not only did he come to us, but he humbled himself. God becoming a baby, a little baby. God dying on a cross for us. God entering into our mess, the literal mess of this world. Into poverty, into a manger. Because... He loves us. He loves us as individuals. He loves us as his children. May we know that. And may we begin to live like him in humility and in unity. The only way we can do that is in Jesus. In his name, amen. This passage, uh, it really is about, I mean, bottom line, it's about moving from looking at ourselves to other people. From focusing on ourselves to focusing on somebody else to thinking about ourselves and being selfish to thinking about others. And as good as that sounds, it is so tough to do. So difficult to do. So challenging. You know, we live in a world today where we are more like interconnected than ever before. I mean, we have, you know, the Facebook, we got Twitter. you know, I just read a tweet today, this morning, okay? And, you know, I was doing my quiet time, but, you know, i got to check Twitter and all. I was reading a tweet, and it said that in 2000, there were four reality TV shows. And today, there are over 320. Did you get that? Over 320 of, you know, promoting a, a lifestyle, you know, somebody's family, wives of Atlanta, wives of New York, you know, all of that. You know, reality TV... And so we're so interconnected, but yet there's not real community. I mean, I think we're more isolated than ever. We're more like thinking about us as individuals and selfish and self-promotion than ever. All that good stuff causes connection, but it also causes self-promotion. So reality TV. So we live in an almost famous world. So anybody can be on YouTube and it go viral. And I mean, that is, that's the world we live in. And in my opinion, it strangles trying to build like real community, real connection. So how do, how do we do that? How do we do it as a church? 
How do we do it as people that, that need other folks? Because a life of just being selfish and being self-promoting and, and being an individual, it, it's isolating and it's lonely. How, how do we live in community? How do we just be God's church? This whole Advent season, the theme is from darkness to light. Advent is about light. We light the Advent candles. We proclaim light has come into the world. It's all about light. But light is so much more powerful as it shines in the darkness. I talked about our Christmas Eve service. If, if all the lights were on and we were holding candles, it, it'd be good and sweet and all that. But when, when it's dark and all those candles are lit, it, it's, it's so much more vivid, so much more striking. The same with Jesus coming into the world. Isaiah said, the people who have walked in a dark land will see a great light. John chapter 1 says that light has come into the world and the darkness could not put it out. And that's the truth. Light's come into the world in the midst of darkness. And how can we move from darkness in our lives to the light of Christ? Last Sunday I talked about moving from covenant to contentment. Today I want to talk about moving from focusing on ourselves... Focusing on ourselves to other people. And I think this is like vastly, vastly important this time of year. I know like Christmas is about everybody else and all, but the reason why is that one, so many people are lonely at Christmas. So many people are lonely at Christmas. Whether you've lost someone, whether there's been a broken relationship, divorce, whether, you know, you don't get to see your kids this Christmas, you got them at Thanksgiving and they go, you know, to the other folks, whatever it is. Whether your family's off and away and you're not going to be having Christmas dinner with them. This season, it's, it's so easy to just to feel lonely. To feel lonely. And then the second thing is that sometimes we're not lonely, but we don't like the people we got to be with. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is, a, this is the time where, you know, there are Christmas parties and, and we have the parties with our friends you know, and, and brothers and sisters we're like close to and love hanging out with. And then it's with the folks we got to hang with, you know. So we got to see uh, that cousin who was just never going to get his life together, you know. And we're just like, man, dude, just can't you do something? You know what I'm talking about. There is that sibling, sister or brother, who married that guy or gal that you just can't stand to be around. And you're like, what was she thinking? And now, you know brother or sister-in-law or this is the season where you know you got to hit the in-laws for a week you know and you're like man just you know that can't end soon enough there's a great scene and we have the you know nutcracker so I couldn't show it today very powerful very emotional Christmas movie called Christmas Vacation and the scene is um there is a ringing of a bell. I don't know if you remember it, but it goes, ding, ding, ding. It's like slow motion. And it's the doorbell. And Cousin Eddie is outside the door. You know what I'm talking about? You felt like that. I felt like that. They've arrived, and they were early. They were two days early. You know what I'm saying? We can either be very lonely... Oh, we're forced to be around a lot of folks that, uh, that we just, just don't like. So how do we have community? How? 
in the name of our Savior, could we move from focusing on ourselves to somebody else? How do we do that? I think this passage tells us, but before it says anything about how to, it tells us the truth. And actually, whenever you go through the Bible, whenever you look through the Bible, first the Bible is about truth. Not how to do something, not steps one, two, and three. Before we do anything, we got to know the truth. We got to get the truth. We got to get what has been done in Jesus. And before we realize or can come to the place of how to get along with other people or love other people or forgive other people, we got to know an important fact. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus loves each and every one of you so much. So much that he, that he died for us. And I know you're like, hey, I got that in Sunday school. Do you really? Do we really? We really got that? First thing Paul says, verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ. Stop. In Christ. If you're encouraged by being in Christ. What is in Christ? That means we're saved. That means you have had a salvation experience. It means 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that the old is past and the old is actually old and now it is something new and different and alive. Life. You have a new life. Ultimately, one day we'll have a new body when Christ returns. New life. Salvation. What does that mean? You say, I got that. You know, I got it. Learned it when I was these kids' age. So we really have it. What it means is we ain't got to go around pretending we're perfect because we ain't perfect and we ain't got perfect families. Jesus was perfect for us. What does it mean? It means that if we are in Christ, if we are truly in Christ, we can walk in humble confidence. We can love others because we know we have been loved by God. We have been died for by Christ. We can know that we are children of God. Sons and daughters of the Almighty. We can know we have a place. Jesus said you have a mansion. You have a home for eternity. And there will ultimately be peace in this world, in this universe that Christ will bring about. And we're a part of that. And we can spend our lives bringing it to pass in this season and in this life. We can know that. And we can be at peace, simple peace, and we can love others. It's very, very important for you to get that. And that's, that stuff is very easy to just go right over because you're like, now I got that, Jesus died. No, if you don't get that, you miss everything else. If you don't have that, you're missing everything else. What Jesus has done for us. And the reason I believe that so many people, how should I say this? Well, let's just put it clearly so many people aren't saved because they're not hearing that they're not hearing you're a son and daughter of god almighty they're not hearing you can walk in humble confidence you don't have to prove anything to anybody you don't have to pretend like you're perfect and what people hear so many people hear is criticism of themselves they hear critiques of themselves they hear you're not good enough you're not perfect enough your house needs to be so much better. You're not being a good enough mom or good enough dad. You're not doing a good job at work. You know, one thing I've found in my relatively young, getting older life 
is that those who criticize the most are so critical of themselves. I mean, I don't know if, if y'all know that. But, you know, I mean, the people who are like, did you see what she got for Christmas? Or you drive off and, did you see what he gave her? Come on, he could have spent more than that. Same like Cousin Eddie or Uncle Johnny or whomever. Or you leave and be like, great party. I mean, come on. You know? I found myself caught in this trap this week. This week. And I was vastly critical. And it was right here at this Performing Arts Center. And I went to Jack's Christmas play. It was in the Flex Theater back there. And my wife said, you got to get there early because these folks come in and they come in fast and you're not going to get a seat. So this was Wednesday morning. I had a Bible study, a radical Bible study Wednesday morning. It's like, you know, I got an hour to kill, so I'll come early, leisurely, save a seat. Got here at 8.05. 8.05. The, the play was 8.45. The first two rows were reserved by like one person each. And they had their, you know, their umbrellas and keys and everything by one person, you know, who'd gotten there early. And for all the, you know, the grandmothers and granddaddies and everybody, you know, the first two blocked off. And, and one person was sitting there. And I was like, so, so I can't sit here? No, we're reserving it. And I'm like, 8.07, you know. And didn't get the good seat. You know, still got to get four rows back. And on the end. And I'm like, I called my wife and I was like, dude, I mean, these folks, who do they think they are? They come, they reserve whole rows, and then somebody walks in late, 8.47, gets that primo seat. Who do they think they are? Then I tried to pull one on them because there was one prime seat in front of all the other rows. So I threw my keys on that seat. And then I sat in the back, and I was like, that's going to be my my wife's seat. She's 37 weeks pregnant. She's going to have that one. And the teacher said, this is a teacher's seat. I was like, no, no. I mean, 8.08, you know. You don't know who I am? I'm chap. I didn't say that. But I didn't, I didn't say that. But I did say the seat. And she said, it's okay. It's okay. She felt for me. And then, you know, what I heard is Lynn and I couldn't sit together. She was right there and somebody else. Who does she think she is sitting in that seat? I mean, it's just, you know, hey, man, God bless this time of year. But I caught it in myself. I was like, because I was thinking about my sermon. I was thinking about, you know, being critical. I was like, well, what do I hear about myself? I mean, you're not good enough, not early enough, always rushed. I hear those things. And I think when we fall in the trap of, of being critical, and it's so easy, we need to look in the mirror and just hear, what, what are we saying to ourselves? What are we, what are we hearing in our mind that, that makes us want to be so critical of, of the simplest things, of, of times of joy, like watching kids sing? Paul says, get this, verse 1, if then there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy. It says, if you're in Christ, these things are possible. If you're in Christ, sharing in the Holy Spirit, what he means by that is discipleship, is growth. Are you sharing in a life of the Holy Spirit where you take those thoughts captive And say, where is that coming from? Because it's not of God. So it's either of sin or of Satan. Take it, Captain, and move it aside. When we are in Christ, we're his children, we're his sons and his daughters. 
And we have the freedom to love others because he's loved us so much. So how would this look like if we're looking out at people? You know, like collectively. I mean, as a church body. Externally, okay? So like we're gathered here and, you know, we look out into the community and the world. How do we deal with other people? Let me say this is just so, so challenging. Why is it challenging? Well, take, take this church. And we were started on one verse. One verse. One verse that has a word that is in the title of this sermon. From ourselves to others. The verse is John 10, 16. Jesus just says, there are others out there. There are other people. And i got to go to them. I believe that should be the bedrock of every church, in every nation, every town, every city, and all the world, because there are other people, and they need to be reached for Jesus. And it is so easy to lose track of that. It is so easy to lose track of that. We've lost track of that. I've lost track of that. To admit or confess, not that this is a confession stand, but first year or two, man, I was pounding that over and over and over again. John 10, 16, there are others. There are others. we got to go to them. I had somebody come up to me, a leader in the church, said, man, can you get off the others and, like, talk about us some? I was like, okay. <laughs> Two years later. No, just kidding. But seriously, I mean, I was hitting the others. Evangelism, outreach. Most church plants, most new churches do. And then we kind of become content and, and complacent. And it's easy to do, and I take ownership fully of it. And we stop thinking about the people who need to be saved, the people who need to be reached, the people who are are lost and are in so need of hearing this message in Christ, being in Christ. It's it's hard. And it was so indicative. And I'm just going to share kind of a feeling that I had Wednesday night. I, I saw this. And it happens every Sunday, and I just, I'm here to kind of remind you. I mean, I, I say this in love, and I say it of who we want to be as a church and, and where we're going. Wednesday night, we had this fantastic play that um, you've heard me say, Marion Sable. She helped us uh, direct it. Chris was part of it, Cherry, Heisel, and we had a 6 o'clock and 8 o'clock. Many of you there, it was, it was, it was different. It was unique. We're going to do much more like that artistically because it draws people who just would not step into a church on a Sunday morning. And the 8 o'clock show, several people from, from Bellhaven came in. And I looked around and it really hit me. I mean, it really hit me. Like, you know, man, we, we can easily be like, you know, this is our church and kind of become inbred. And then you have a lot of outsiders just come in and we're like, what do we do here? You know, who are these folks? This is kind of my place. No, it's not our place. It's God's place. Anybody's open to come in there. And it's like we almost don't know how to like, you know, Maybe strike up a conversation. This is a new folks. And maybe they're different. I don't know. Maybe they're artsy. Maybe they're a different race. Maybe they're, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Just, you know. But man, people are different. You know, news flash. Church is open. We got to reach others. And it just hit me in that, you know, have we lost that sense of, of the other person that we've got to reach? And, and there's, a, like I said, honestly, I mean, there's part of me. I mean, we can become complacent, content got a place, got money, yeah, we need, you know, permanent space and all that, but the mission of Jesus is other people. The mission of every church should be other people. I get this from B groups all the time, like, hey, do we want to invite or do we want to stay solid? 
And I'm like, man, the choice is up to you. I'll give you the freedom. The only thing is, you know, you're like, well, if we get other people, then it's going to change the dynamic. And, you know, it's not going to be as it is. News for you. If you stay as you are, it's going to change the dynamic because eventually come next week or two weeks or two years or 20 years, we're going to die, you know. I mean, everything's going to change. And so you can either be continually externally focused, always inviting and welcoming and loving, or we just get in bread and, you know, focus on ourselves. And look, truth be told, there is a balance, evangelism, discipleship, but it's two strands of the same rope. It's together. It's the Great Commission. From ourselves to others. It's challenging. We've got to remind ourselves that is the mission of Jesus. So that was externally, but let's talk internally too. I mean, the others that are here, the others that are gathered. Us, this church family. And it's very easy to say, in this church, or any church, somebody that you see, maybe across a couple rows or on the other side, man, can't they just get it together? Can't they? Their life, their marriage, their walk with Christ? Man, are they just crazy? Oh, you've thought that, we've thought that, depending on the, on the person. You may have thought about, about me. That's okay. Can't they get it together? Aren't they crazy? You know, we're one big happy family. Can't control what family you're born into. Can't control who God leads into your church body. Can control how we act to them. Can control loving them. Loving them like Jesus did. But how to do that? Okay, I told you the truth. How to, Paul goes on. Verse 2 through 4, he says, Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Paul is saying, Same mind. Unity in the body. Same love in the body. He's, he's writing to one church. There's not a plethora of churches, one church. One mind. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility. Regard others as better than ourselves. So how does this happen? Well, first off, we've got to put off our, our pretenses and be open and honest and transparent and be humble. And, you know, I've learned this lesson a lot in marriage, as probably some of you. You know how it is, you know, you, you get married, there's the marriage covenant. You know, I will, I will, I do, I do, and, you know, I take all that. And, you know, you promise giving your life and all that. And then, we live our lives in marriage that we, we like, pretend to put them above ourselves. But really, it's all about us. Okay? I mean, really, you know. Here's what I mean. Buy a gift for your spouse. I see my wife up there. I'm going to tell a story. On me, not on her. You got this gift for your spouse. But it's really a gift for you. It just seems like a gift for her. Example would be, sweetie, you know, had this wonderful date night a while back. It's a special evening. Went to a movie. I uh, got a DVD of that movie. We can just remember that night. Opens it up. John Hugh, it's James Bond. I mean, <laughs> special night. It, it was, remember? It was, you know, 
connected. That really happened. Um, <laughs> that is an example. But, you know, it could be like, hey, I want you to learn hunting with me, so I got you this gun. You know? I mean, multiple examples. Dudes have done that. We, we do it all the time. Maybe not as sly as like the James Bond DVD, but it happens. Okay? Now, what I'm talking about is, you know, we talk about putting them above ourselves, and it's really about us. So, you know, like, how is it really about others? I you to look at a couple words in Scripture. And you really, to understand it, you've got to kind of go into the original language in Greek to see what Paul's saying. The word conceit there in verse 3, the original meaning meant literally empty glory. Empty glory, a glory that, that leaves us empty. No substance. That when you do things for the self, when you do things selfishly, when it's all about us, what it will bring is, is emptiness, is, is no substance. Actually, the King James Version, Old English, which I don't use, but it replaces conceit with vainglory. Vainglory. Which ties in more to, to self-promotion, to promoting oneself. Promoting oneself leads to emptiness. Thinking about oneself before the other person leads to emptiness. That there's no substance in that. And Paul is saying this. Don't do anything like that. Please, it's not going to lead you anywhere. It's going it's to lead you void and empty. And often we fool ourselves or sin fools us or the devil or, or whatever you would, you would call it tricks us into seeking vainglory. And seeking self-promotion. And saying, I've, I've got I've to do this. I've got to promote myself. I've got to be about myself or I'm going to miss out. And a lot of times, you know, honestly, this speak from experience and speak from experience that I've seen. I mean, it really masks, you know, seeking vainglory. It really masks insecurity. And it masks that, you know, we don't feel very good about ourselves. So we need to promote ourselves. And, man, it can seep into relationships, too. As in, like, if I don't have a relationship with this person, I'm going to miss out. If I don't have a connection with this person, I'm going to miss out. If I can't get this business, I'm going to miss out. It's vainglory, Paul is saying. It's empty glory. It's, it, there's no substance. There's going to be no substance found in that. Just whether it's self-promotion, whether it's being about ourselves. He's saying don't do that. Instead, he says, regard others as better than yourselves. That's what my translation here says. The Greek actually means, and I believe some of your translations might have more significant than yourselves. But the very word in that, more significant or better, the translation was honoring royalty. Honoring like kings and queens. That's, it's not just better than you, but like honoring them. Like, like they're a king, they're a queen, they're royalty. That's what Paul's saying treat one another like. He's saying the conceit, the vainglory, it's empty. Instead, look at other people and treat them with dignity that you'd give to royalty. Wow. There's radical opposite contrasts. And that's what Paul is saying to do. Again, how? How? He's like, man, that's great. You've shown me it's emptiness, but, but like how? I was talking to this uh, leader in the community uh, this week, had a, had a meeting with him, and he, uh, he, he's older, and he's been around the block multiple times, and I was like, man, how do you do it? 
And I said, it's like, how do you play this game? Because, I mean, it's all, you know, a game, you know, society, status. All that. Like, how do you do it? How do you? And he said, you know, I've always, and, you know, I think it's a principle rooted in the gospel, but he said, I always seek to understand before being understood. I love that. Seek to understand before being understood. Think of others and their desires and their histories and their past and their, their condition before, like, imposing what you want. How do we do it? How do we treat people like royalty? How do we move from ourselves to others? C.S. Lewis said it so well. He said, don't think less of yourself. Think of yourself less. You might want to write that down. I love that. Don't think less of yourself. Because if you're in Christ, man, you're a new creation. Old is past. New has come. You're a child of God. You don't have to think less of yourself. You shouldn't. You should walk in humble confidence. But we have the freedom to think of ourselves less often. It happens in humility. It happens when we're thinking of ourselves literally like less. It happens when we forgive people. And the only way we can forgive people is when we're humble. How do we think of others? We start by maybe forgiving them. How do we think of those others that we don't want to be around this Christmas? Maybe we need to forgive them in our heart. Forgiveness is tough. Forgiveness is very tough. Somebody who's helped me uh, learn about forgiveness is this writer, uh, a theologian named Miroslav Volf. Like Wolf with a V. Volf. And um, he lived during the conflict in Yugoslavia, in Serbia, Croatia. So he literally saw uh, towns pillaged, uh, family members uh, killed, raped. I mean, he, he witnessed that. He saw that with his own eyes as a Christian. So, like, how do, you, how do you deal with that? How do you forgive? And he wrote a book on forgiveness, and he wrote, and these words have been so powerful uh, for me. He wrote, forgiveness fails. Forgiveness fails. Because we exclude the sinner or the offender, the person who's offended us or sinned against us. We exclude them from the community of humans. And we exclude ourselves from the community of sinners. Say that again. The person who's hurt us, we exclude them. We say they're they're not human. They're not part of the human condition or human race even. We exclude ourselves from the community of sinners. See, in church, church family, bellwether, there, there's some things that are going to happen. Mark, mark them down. They're, they're, these will, it's not if, it's when. And I don't know why God said, you know, work your faith out in a church. I don't know why God said... You know, the, the way forward to grow the kingdom is the church, but he did. He did. He took 12, they went out. This letter's written to a church. It's church, 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 church. It's a community. And so there's some things are going to happen in a church. And one of them is we will be hurt by somebody else in the church. Like when we commit, we're like, this is my home base. Something's going to happen sometime. We're going to be hurt. 
I mean, maybe we don't like sing a song that you like, or maybe I don't preach what you like, or maybe somebody in your small group does something or says something and it was in con- I mean, there are multiple examples. We're going to get hurt. We're more than two people, and usually two people hurt one another. Look at marriages. And we got a couple options, really three options, when we're hurt. We can leave and stay offended. Or we can stay and stay offended. Or we can stay and heal. I think option one and two are unacceptable. But they happen. They happen in churches all around the world. They happen here. But see, the Bible challenges. It challenges our conventions. It it challenges our thoughts about what community is. I mean, the Bible said, this passage, one accord, one mind, nothing out of selfishness or conceit. The Bible says, it says, go and meet with your brother, work it out. The Bible says even rebuke, call it out. The Bible challenges our our idea of relationships, our idea of community. How do we do it again? Keep coming back. How do we move from ourselves to us? How do we move from humility? How do we move to forgiveness? I've given you a couple ways, but the the bottom line, it, it still, it begins and it ends with Jesus. Verse 5. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ. Wait, don't don't miss that verse. Verse 5. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ. Say, so, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ. Paul is saying. The same mind that was in Jesus, we have the potential, the possibility to have in us. Or or he wouldn't have written that verse. Let the same mind be in Jesus, be in you. You get that? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited or used, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, born in human likeness, found in human form, humbled himself, And became obedient even to death. Even death on a cross. How do we do it? We get what Jesus has done. What has Jesus done? Lord Almighty. Creator of the universe. Willingly. Freely. Said I'm going to enter into this mess. And I'm going to enter it in the most radical of ways. As as an impoverished child. in, In dirt. In a manger. Grimy. With a poor mom and And family. And, and being born with ox and donkeys and cattle. And, and like, this is how I'm going to enter this world. And you know what? He didn't like get rich. He didn't pull himself by, up by his bootstraps. I mean, he stayed pretty much poor. He said, I'm going to walk with these folks. I'm going to live with them, even though they're unworthy. That's a harsh statement, thinking of ourselves unworthy. I was doing my Advent devotion this morning. It talked about the Old Testament that God was blessing his people over and over again, and they continued to rebel against him. They continued to leave him. Until he said, man, I'm going to bring you a Savior. I'm, I'm coming to you in the flesh. To us too. He, he enters into our messy lives, and all of our lives are a mess. He enters in, and we have the potential to have the same mind as him. We have the potential to be of one mind and one accord, and his body to bless others, to reach others. But we got to look to Jesus. There's no three-step solution. There's one step. If you want to love like Jesus, look to Jesus. This Christmas season, all of us will have challenges. 
maybe an in-law, maybe, you know, the girl or guy, your brother or sister married, maybe that cousin, maybe that friend, maybe that broken relationship you bump into buying Christmas presents, maybe your spouse, it may be a sin you need to repent, it, may, it is something. Look to Jesus. Look to him, how he entered this world, how he lived, and he did it for you and for me and for us. He did it when we were unworthy so that we could un- love the unworthy. How do you go into all the world? You, you, you look at Jesus and what he did and how he lived and what he's done for you and me. Maybe do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, when we are about ourselves, you are about us. I simply pray that we could get that. Dear Lord, I pray that people who need to come to salvation will do that. And I pray that those of us who are in Christ, who are in Christ, would be about who you're about. And that's other people. Maybe it's other people sitting in this room right now. Maybe they've never stepped foot in a church. Dear Lord, I pray you would just sear it in our heart to be about others, not about ourselves. I pray we would not think less of ourselves because we are sons and children of God, but we'd walk in humble confidence and secure that we don't have to prove ourselves to you or anybody else. But we can love people like you loved us. And I pray, I pray we just give it to you and you'd fill us because we can't do it in our own strength. In your holy and precious name. Amen.